Hi, my name is John Kim. I'm a therapist who went through his own rebirth many years ago, and I've been documenting my journey ever since, sharing my life lessons and revelations. I believe in casual over clinical, with you instead of at you. I come unrehearsed on purpose because self-help doesn't have to be so complicated. Three therapists, three questions. First question goes to Danae. Danae, what turns you on? Curiosity. That's it? Yeah. Just that's it? <laughs> I mean, I think curiosity can mean so many things, can encapsulate so many things that come up. But I think um, an open mind, an open heart, um, mm-hmm. someone who is not you know, sure of anything and just like that constant space of seeking. Um, yeah, I think it's like a curious mind. You ask your question now. What scares you about aging? To me or to Vanessa? To Vanessa. Oh, what scares me about aging? Um, Becoming obsolete mm-hmm. is kind of the first thing that comes up, but I don't know if that's my answer or if that's like the answer I'm carrying on from my mother. What does obsolete mean? Um, well, I think, you know, we've talked about before, like in, in our culture, like aging women become more and more obsolete, right? So you're taken less as an expert. You're looked at less as... Um, somebody to pay attention to or to, you know, hmm. just bring in attention, not necessarily sexual attention, just any attention. Um, cause I think in the, in our society, like women just become again, more obsolete as I get older. And so I don't know if, again, I, it's, it's hard for me to say if that's mine or if that's my mom's. <laughs> that's interesting. I've used this many times before, but, uh, Michael J. Fox in back to the future when he couldn't get his parents back together. And so in the photograph, he was disappearing. Hmm. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. That's how you feel. (laughs) You know what's interesting about that from the perspective of a woman? I feel like our field, and I don't know, I'd be curious to hear John's thoughts on this, but I think as a woman, our field is one of the few where we don't become obsolete and wisdom is actually um, gained as you age. Mm -hmm. And so you almost become more valuable in our field as opposed to so many others. Like like in entertainment, Mm -hmm. in modeling, you become more obsolete with Mm -hmm. age. Right. Well, even in like the creative industry that I was in before becoming a therapist, you became more obsolete as a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know, maybe that was part of my draw. <laughs> to therapy? To being a therapist, yeah. yeah. was like finding something where I didn't feel like that was, there was so much pressure mm-hmm. on that specific component, you know? Mm-hmm. All right, Vanessa, what's your question? Um, what is something... What is the thing that you regret most of all in your life, John? What do I regret the most? You know, the, I, I want to say that, you know, I don't have regrets, but that's a very generic uh, answer. So I'm trying to think of something that is honest. What do I regret the most? I think uh, for me, it would be... Uh, holding on to my dreams to be a screenwriter for too long. Mm. So I held on for 10 years. I, it was almost like being in a relationship after it had died and still being in it, right? And so mm. I held on for 10 years, 
and I should have let go of that or moved on, I don't know, six, six years in, you know, that extra four years mm. um, destroyed me, you know, that's where I, I uh, mm. obtained a lot of false beliefs, um, also uh, worth as a man, um, not providing, uh, interrupted my, you know, my, at that time, my marriage, and so I feel like I should have, and also if I had let go of that earlier and decided to become a therapist, um, I would have got on with my life earlier. I would have gotten my hours sooner. I would have been, t- <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I would have uh, been a therapist four or five years earlier, which means that uh, maybe perhaps I would have um, been where I'm at now, but instead of turning 50, I would be, you know, turning 45. But But also... Uh, that's not how life happens. Mm-hmm. And just because, you know, it's like the whole butterfly effect. If you had, if I had, if I had uh, quit earlier, it doesn't mean that I would have gotten five more years of my life. It, I might have been going into a different direction. Who knows, mm-hmm. you know, so. Mm-hmm. But as far as regret, so that would be one. The other, you know, the other one would be uh, how I showed up in relationships. Um, most of my relationships, uh, romantic, I'm not talking about friendships, uh, in looking back, um, I think I was, uh, impatient, uh, aggressive, not, 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 not aggressive, uh, as far as like physical aggressive, but, um, uh, aggressive as far as energy, um, irresponsible with my own energy, uh, how I impact rooms, and uh, uh, you know, defaulting to negative, and uh, and all of that. So I, I regret how I showed up in um, my relationships. Mm-hmm. Okay, this next round is called tightening the vice. So <laughs> it's like we're on a game show, a twisted therapist-run game show. <laughs> Danae's answer to what turns her on was curiosity. Mm-hmm. So to tighten the vice, what can we ask uh, Danae? Uh, and it's not so much expanding, but um, or it can be, but like uh, to go deeper as a depth psycholo- psychologist. You're not a psychologist, a depth therapist. <laughs> <when I say. laughs> I'm you, glad you, that you know the difference. You have, you have, one, you have one less letter after your name. <laughs> one? One less, yeah. Oh, one less. I was like, oh, one. A psychologist. <laughs> a, a, a psychologist. Hey, and this is a question we get all the time. A psychologist oh, okay. is a, you need a doctorate. That's right. Yes. Uh, if you're If you're a, a, a marriage family therapist, you need a master's, which is only two letters. If you're a psychiatrist, you can prescribe medication. and Also you, a doctor. Also a doctor, yes. Um, and then a clinical psychologist also. Uh, but a psychiatrist has to go to med school. So there's even a difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist. A yes. psychologist has a PhD level, but it's more of a, like a clinical uh, research direction. And a psychiatrist actually goes to MD, like to be an MD. Therapists can't prescribe medication. No. Yes. Neither can psychologists, I don't think. No, psychologists can't. Only psychiatrists. Yes. Thank God. Yeah. I don't want to be prescribing oh. medication. No. <laughs> we, we take one really quick course, uh, Psychopharmacology 101, and that's all we take. So we shouldn't be prescribing medication. Okay. <laughs> Nice tangent. Educational tangent, actually, because I feel like it's questions we get a lot. You would love that. <laughs> yes. I would love that. That feels like in your wheelhouse. 
I do love a good educational tangent. Okay, Danae, so the, the tightening of the vice. Yeah, and so my na- my mind naturally goes to flipping that. So um, if curiosity turns you on, why does the opposite turn you off? So the opposite of curiosity is what to you? Um, judgment. Yeah. Certainty. Um, Close-mindedness. Just feeling like there's like a a certain prescription formula path to be followed. Why does that turn me off? Um, You know, I think that a lot of times there's there's not a lot of expansion in that. I think there's... I always think of things in the context of... um, Am I choosing between fear and love? I think normally when there's like a certainty, there's like a fear of what else could be true, which Mm. I don't get super turned on by. But I think I really love learning. Um, I love people that ask me questions. When I think about the people I've been most turned on by physically, it's always someone who makes me like I feel inspired by the way that they see the world, who makes me see things differently than maybe I would have thought of. Um, That feels like just like a really exciting characteristic and so the opposite of it is um contraction is not being expanded by the conversations the relationship and that that makes that feels like almost like a deadening to me Mm. vanessa your fear of being invisible um what are you doing to combat that Mm. um i mean i think that i spent the first part of my life slash career being a cog in the wheel of somebody else's empire. Mm. And I think, and I say empire, well, in that sense, it's empire. And then what I was going to say is I think the second part of my career slash life, well, second part, I'm only 38, but (laughs) um, is like expanding and creating my own. And I would say building my empire, but not in the sense of like, um, you know, capitalistic building wealth, like all this stuff, but just building an empire, like, um, a team of people that I love and I want to work with, you know, creating, building things that I, I'm, I'm passionate about and I feel like give back to the world. Um, so yeah, I think that's the difference for me or like, that's what I'm doing now, I guess, to combat that. So, uh, with my question of regrets, I was going to bridge that to um, this idea of midlife, right? So I kind of feel like um, I know on the surface I would be the first one as far as going uh, through something that is a midlife, uh, literally turning 50 in a month. Mm-hmm. And um, But I kind of feel like we're all going through a, um, our own version of that, mm-hmm. right? So, Danae, what, w- would you say that you're going through... I, I feel like with you, you've been going through mm. something that is, uh, um, it's not a crisis, obviously. I think um, <laughs> poster divorce, mm. um, I've seen a character arc, I've seen you coming into your own um, as a writer, as, uh, you know, a catalyst, as um, someone who, you know, shows up on social media and all of that. Um, what's happening there? Do you think that you are out of that tunnel? Is there still stuff happening as far as you going through some kind of uh, midlife? Yeah, I think 40 for me was certainly um, a shift. I, you know, we were talking earlier about that Carl Jung talks about the stages of life and that 
the first stage of our life is very sort of oriented toward the external world mm-hmm. and what is defined for us and what our lives should look like. And is it also sun and moon? Yes. Break it? Right. Solar energy. Yeah. Yeah. So then that's also like um, masculine. more masculine energy and structures and, um, you know, things being decided for us. And I think that was certainly the case with my life. Um, and then you know, synchronistically, as we would say in depth psychology, around age 40, um, a lot of the structures that had been in place in my life, my marriage, my um, relationship with my family, um, certainly I like came into being a therapist and, you know, I, I was just like starting um, in my late 30s with that career path, but really coming into a different level of sense of self that um, transition from my 30s to my 40s became sort of that initiatory period or that threshold of initiation for me. And it was really um, a, a period of like trial and error and learning to be present with myself in a way that I hadn't since I was a little girl. And really like, um, like if I'm not being defined by the external world, telling me who I'm supposed to be, then who do I want to be? Who do I want to create as a self? And I feel like absolutely. Um, there's something about like, as we're recording this, we're about to come into like airy season, which is the, Mm -hmm. um, start of the astrological new year. And there's all this stuff about how it's like the end of a cycle and it's the Mm -hmm. beginning of a new cycle in this Aquarian age that we've entered. And so there's so many conversations about like how, we've been through a cycle since like 2020 and it's sort of culminating and coming to an end. And I feel it so strongly that like, well, you said it's an airy season. Um, airy season starts like next and, week. Yeah. So, end of March, beginning of April. So if, if you're an Aries, does it mean it's your season? I'm not an Aries. My, my no, an Aries. I'm an Aries. Yeah, I was like, yeah. Um, <laughs> but you have a lot of the energy of what this season represents, mm-hmm. right? So it's just like action. It's just like make it happen. Don't think too much about it. That's totally like yeah. when I watch you sometimes, it's fascinating. You and my son are both Aries mm-hmm. and your energy is really similar in the way you just like fire. Nobody's going to tell you what, how life's going to look. So I'm curious as I'm saying all this, what that brings up for you, because I feel like that's kind of always been your energy, but I didn't have that. Mm. Um, and now I feel like I'm very much in a stage of life where really unapologetically, I can say without hesitation, um, I define myself for myself in a way that I haven't in my life up until this point, And I have my back. <laughs> you, you, you just, you know, it's interesting. I almost said something that I, I, <laughs> I was, I was hesitating. I was, should I say, so I was going to say, because it's very John Kim and inappropriate. You said you have your back and I was like, now you just need someone to have your front. But then I thought, okay, well now I'm going to get the whole, okay. Um, since we're friends. That was a little bit of like a, that's what she said kind of joke. I am a dad. <laughs> that wasn't really a dad joke. Mm, I appreciate that it. Bad. It's dirty dad jokes. It, it tickled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and also you agree. <laughs> hey. I was thinking about, uh, well, you know, what's interesting is, uh, hmm. Usually it's the other way around where it's like you're looking for someone to have your back. Oh. Mm-hmm. But now, no, it's empowering because you're saying I have my own back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's- you just get my front. I have mm-hmm. my own back. I, <laughs> I just need, need someone to-, to get the front. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I was thinking about the word confidence while you were talking. Mm. And as uh, confidence being something that is produced or ripples out of something else. Mm. So, you know, when people are saying that someone is confident... I almost see it as like when you were saying um, 
that you are um, determined, more connection connected to self, more living in truth. Mm-hmm. I think what uh, exudes out of that is confidence. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So um, I see a lot of confidence rippling outward from you. Thank you. Which is proof of that reunion to self, you know? Yeah. I think we build self-confidence by... It's like, I'm trying to think, you're you're better with the metaphors, John, but like, you know, like when you've tried and tested something, like I feel like I've tried and tested myself and like mm, yeah. stayed with myself through the moments of like being in the fire and so I'm like confident in what I'm capable of. Um, and that whole thing of like someone having my back versus my friend. Um, I think because through the fire, I've been the one to stay with myself and have my back. One, I am very clear on um, that I'm going to be okay and like what I'm capable of doing. But also I think there's an ability to be soft in the space of, um, I don't know, like I, I just, you know how like we'll talk about Wayne Dyer sometimes he wrote this book called I Can See Clearly Now where he was talking about like all of the synchronicities of his also life. a song by Stephen Stevie Wonder no 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 okay sorry never mind Clear, I can clear see water clear. I don't know <laughs> yeah. okay sorry but he talks about all the synchronicities of his whole life. He wrote it towards the end of his life. And I was I was doing this with like my therapist the other day. She was sort of like hashing out like why all of these synchronicities had to happen the way that they did for me to understand what I have come to understand at this point in my path. Of course, there will be more. Um, but I think what you were saying, John, about like regrets, like there are ways like with the butterfly effect, like if, if things hadn't panned out the way they hadn't, if I hadn't stayed in the path of like screenwriting for as long as I had, there are certain ways that I wouldn't be able to speak to things in the way that I speak to them now mm-hmm. or have the understandings mm-hmm. that I've come to have. And I can just see so clearly now, like why I really needed to be alone for as substantial of amount of time as mm-hmm. I have to mm-hmm. like have my back for the reasons that like, I don't, I wouldn't have written the book that I'm almost done writing. Right. I wouldn't right. be able to um, support women and like standing in their power in the way that I feel confident in being able to do now. Um, if I hadn't, I think it was really orchestrated by the universe. So I think you guys know this, but um, I don't hear words. I see them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's because of 10 years or 20 years of me staring at a screen and literally seeing words. It's like I and almost also I'm a visual person. So when people speak, I see their words and then um, some of them uh, light up like neon. And mm-hmm. so for me, as you were saying that, what lit up was staying with myself. Mm-hmm. And going back to confidence, when you stay with yourself, you're actually building trust. And again, I think the ripple of that is is, is confidence. Mm-hmm. Um Staying with yourself, I think, is very powerful. The opposite of staying with self is abandoning self. Mm-hmm. Do you see, see what, what you, I mean? see what you did there. <laughs> yes. Well played, John. <laughs> so let's talk about self-abandonment, mm-hmm. Vanessa. What does that mean to you? What does that look like? And also, um, after we talk about self-abandonment, we're going to talk about what you can do because self-betterment isn't just about uh, podcasts and information, mm-hmm. but of course uh, the other half of this is execution, doing something about it, right? So what is self-abandonment to you? Um, I mean, this is something that I, and I probably have talked about ad nauseum because it's like the, the, the flag that we wave. Um, I think self-abandonment is really, 
I mean, exactly what it what it is, like exactly the words, right? It's an abandoning of self. So um, a lot of these kind of behaviors of self-abandonment are learned. And so society really teaches us that um, attachment, inclusion, belonging is above all the most important thing, right? The end-all be-all. Um, and that without being kind of included in the crowd, we will will die. We'll be ostracized. Now, that's not only just you know society. Obviously, there's a little bit of kind of a biological component to that, like a wiring component. But what ends up happening is we will choose. It's kind of like what you say about like um, truth over member. Or what do you say over membership? Don't exchange your truth for membership. Right. So it's 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 picking membership over Very truth, true. right? Um, and so people pleasing, for example, right? Um, I'm going to show up in a way that I know in my gut, in my bones is not authentic to me mm-hmm. because I want somebody to like me or to be pleased by me or to not be upset with me um, because I can't handle the feeling of somebody not being okay with me, right? Or happy with me. That's a form of self-abandonment. So the opposite of that, the actual choosing of self um, or what Danae and I would call is like the inner belonging would be I'm going to speak my truth and be honest uh, regardless of how this person feels because the most important thing is that I don't abandon myself, right? That I that I choose myself in that moment. Now, I'm not saying be a dick, but that, I, that I'm honest um, and it's not about how this other person is going to respond to my honesty. It's more important that I'm in integrity with myself and that I'm honest about things. Mm-hmm. So self-abandonment shows up in a lot of different ways. I mean, people-pleasing is just one, but it really just has to do with um, not choosing yourself, you know, cutting cutting yourself off from yourself time and time and time again. And to the point where as most of us, it gets so ingrained that we don't even realize we're doing it most of the time. This is a theme and also um, a prescription for um, your retreat, correct? Yeah, I mean, this is like, I would say the kind of through line of all the retreats that Danae and I have done and, and are still doing. So the last couple that we've done are New Year's retreats and then the one coming up in Costa Rica in June that we're doing. Although that one has a little bit of a different flavor because we're actually bringing in two friends and colleagues that are going to give kind of a different twist. Um, and we're titling that one Reclaiming Audacity. Mm-hmm. But even in Reclaiming Audacity, there is some work around self-abandonment and inner belonging that, that has to take place. What do you guys mean by audacity and reclaiming that? Yeah, you know, it's it's we were having this conversation about what it is to have a midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. And that Vanessa and I were saying from a Jungian perspective, there's a lot about what we societally would call a midlife crisis that is actually a midlife awakening to the ways that we've been programmed. And we've been conditioned to believe our lives have to be in order to belong, in order to be safe, in order to have what society deems a good life. Comfortable. (laughs) Yeah. And that, you know, maybe audacity is, is defining my life for myself, stepping outside of the box of what life is meant to be, um, living our lives boldly, bravely, fully alive in ways that might not make sense to any other person on the planet, but me, um, it's like when I think of audacious, it's like it's big, it's bold, mm-hmm. it's colorful, mm-hmm. it's um, and and there's aliveness in that. And I think what would it look like for our lives to be that? I think a lot of times it's um, a life that I define what a good life is for myself. Yeah, and I think we well, another reason why we actually chose that word when we were all kind of sitting around thinking about what we wanted to like really theme like the thematic of this retreat. 
I think a lot of times when we hear the word audacity, our, our instinct or like our gut reaction is actually negative hmm. to that word. And yet the actual definition of audacity is what Danae just said. It's actually technically positive, right? But I think it's used a lot of times in our language and in our society in a negative way mm-hmm. because we don't really want people to be audacious. We actually yeah. don't want people who are going to rock the boat, take up too much space, live their lives fully, you know, follow their truth, all these things, because that doesn't, that's just, we are a, even though we're all about independence in our culture, we're also all about like, but stay in the herd, right? Like don't, don't create too many ripples. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to almost take back the term audacity and, and really work on what it really means. How many retreats have you guys done so far? Denise on a bunch on our own. No, together. Together. I mean, we've done some online ones. We've done two in-person ones, but Mm -hmm. I don't know, six? Probably about six, yeah. Besides sex and drugs, what happens at your (laughs) retreats? Yes, lots Lots of of sex and drugs. (laughs) Um, Connection. Community. Inspiration. Um, So lots of group work, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of being in, like, witnessing each other, right? Mm-hmm. So I think one of the things, and I think you've inspired, well, I don't think, I know, you actually inspired this, I, and I'll speak for both of us, um, coming into our own as therapists and being kind of in your orbit while we were going through that process, I think you were one of the first people that I ever knew that was so, um, like, in love with group work Mm -hmm. and I had no experience of doing group work in my internship. I know Danae didn't really either. And it wasn't really until we started working with you in the lab that both of us got a taste for it. And I think it was so profound for both of us, like how much of a catalyst being in group with others, being in community with others, being witnessed by others in like on your journey, how much of a catalyst that actually is for your work. When I started getting therapists that were actually quote unquote, prescribing their individual clients to come to my groups. And they would tell me this. I was like blown away because what I realized is that we were all talking about the same things, but it was the being witnessed by other people that was actually like catapulting people further in their work than they were able to get in an individual processing type of way. And I think that's part of why, I mean, like I said, I'm speaking for you, but I think that's part of why both of us have fallen in love with this like group way of working. Yeah, there's something I've seen about the human experience that makes us feel like whatever it is that we are struggling with, we are the only one who has felt this way. Yep. It's just some like trick the ego plays. I'm so much more flawed than us. everybody else. <laughs> yeah, we think that we're alone in that struggle. We yep. think that there's something about me that is inherently broken in a way that other people don't experience. And there's something about the fellowship of having another human describe something that you have felt so intimately, but they're not talking about you. They're talking about themselves. There's a healing that comes in realizing, oh, Mm. none of us are doing this thing called life alone. Mm -hmm. Um, We're all having the same struggles. We're all human bleeding the same ways when we bleed, um, that there's just an alchemical shift inside that we feel something start to like, it's a restorative quality. I start to return to a knowing, um, of my wholeness. And I know that's been the case in my own journey. My most profound experiences of healing have been in group environments and we never stop being moved and amazed the extent to which people's lives are fundamentally changed in ways that they will say and we often say once you see certain things you can't unsee them Mm -hmm. but we talk about like you know the hero's journey is very much a part of Vanessa and I's story like you know Carl Jung and um, Joseph Campbell really it was like what the hero's journey originates from but 
it's a large part of what we learned about in grad school and why we hold um, the work that we do from a depth psychology lens is really about like all of the things that we go through in life are a part of the hero's journey and that we like slay certain dragons and we go off in the wild and then we come back to the village forever changed. But that's a little bit of what happens when people go on this quest, like we like to hold it to these retreats and you go in with an open heart, hopefully, and wanting to like really dig into some things for yourself. And then you see aspects of yourself through the group and through what comes to the surface in these groups. And then you go back to the village forever changed. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes a ripple in the world. And I think that's something I'm going to speak for us now, V, that um, we are really passionate about, that this is how we we change the world is that we go into these little containers, we heal in community together, and then we go back to our villages and we create a ripple with all of the people that we touch in the rest of our lives. Yeah. You know what I think is interesting is, uh, so the individual session, the one-on-one, I think we give clients handrails Mm. and then groups, they dance. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I see. Uh, so I, you know, I didn't want to do groups. The universe drew me into nonprofit. So I ran three groups a day, five days a week for five years. And so I definitely, um, you know, uh, was forced to, um, not only read Yalom, but actually, uh, (laughs) just really play in the sandbox. And it was, um, Moments where the groups kind of took a life of uh, its own and then the therapist or facilitator uh, really took a step back and just almost observed or watched, right? It's like running with a kite until the kite uh, starts flying on its own. And I find that in group work, that is there in individual work because you're one of the, you know, the the pedals of the bicycle, you're 50%. it, it, it's it's much harder to get get that experience. You could have amazing, I think, individual sessions, but they're very different than group work where mm-hmm. you are witnessing something come to life and dance, mm-hmm. right? I think that's totally... I think if, if I had any wish, well, I mean, it would be to completely overhaul the way we look at mental health in this country, period. But if everybody, let's say... Everybody has a personal therapist, an individual therapist, which would be amazing. Um, we all also do group work. Like, I think that's what I witnessed, you know, saying like therapists kind of sending their clients to me. It was like, there was no competition in that. It was like, we're doing this work and I know this will be a catalyst for the work to go even further. And I wish that that's actually how we viewed all of our therapeutic work is like both. Right. And they're like, like you always say, legs of a table, like those are both equal legs of a table. But we you know we do group work when we take yoga class. We do sure. group work when we um have martinis uh you know on a Sunday with your friends. We I mean it, I mean I think any any kind of space where you feel safe and there's kind of um you Community. know people around a fire, right? So like any yeah, when there's a that that it doesn't mean that it's therapy but it can be therapeutic. Like mm-hmm. you know the foundations of um that human exchange is happening in um, all these spaces that, that are day to day when, as long as I think this, the space is safe, um, group work is happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. think there's, there's something in the, the way we, um, allow ourselves to be seen mm-hmm. in these groups, like in collectivist societies, there was a space for whatever pain you're going through, the group holds the pain. And we've gotten a lot more like, we only show the highlight reels, we only like... Instagram. <laughs> yeah, and but just that like there's shame in not allowing myself to be anything other than perfect. And I think what is so healing about group work is a lot of times like we we come into these groups and we just put it all down mm-hmm. all of like a lot of times like 
I don't know about you, like, but I don't know what people do for a living a lot of times in yeah. these rooms. We yeah. just... Um, we don't even go there. Yeah, yeah. we're at, like the essence of who we are in our humanity and we allow that to be seen. And um, we really hold space for that for one another. And I, I mean, I, I know for sure we are as impacted by those conversations as any of the people we're holding space for. Yeah, and I think what's what's exciting about this one that we're doing in June is that what's different than what Danae and I have done is that because we did invite in two of our friends and colleagues, so one of them is um, also a therapist. She's a, a psycho-spiritual counselor, but she's also a, a medium, an intuitive medium. And so her way of working is just, it's so from the heart. Um, and so from, she's actually my first therapist, so she's become a friend and colleague in the last, you know, five to 10 years. But when I was, when I was just a baby on my, my journey, she was kind of my, my first catalyst. Mm-hmm. And then our other friend, Millie, her name's Ashley and our other friend, Millie is an astrologer. And so I think weaving in, you know, um, Ashley's going to be doing some intuitive surf healing. So she has used surf and, and her healing practices for herself. And so we're going to be incorporating that in, you don't have to surf, but it is going to be an option. Um, there's going to be some astrological components brought in by Millie. I just think this is going to be like, like we're bringing the four quads. Like it's going to be pretty powerful. You know, Millie tattooed on her, her, her chart that she read you on your body. Yeah. His, his is tattoo your... is. Oh amazing. yeah. 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 I, um, um, Millie and I go way back. Uh, she did my birth chart and then I, um, cut it in half and tattooed it on my left butt cheek. No, <laughs> <laughs> on my right forearm. You know, I just the other it. half is on my left butt cheek. I don't know if you know that. Is it? Yeah. So no. when I go like this, then it matches the circle. Don't believe him. He's lying. <laughs> I uh, clearly, I haven't seen John's butt cheek. <laughs> I believed him. No. I was like, oh, really? You know what I just thought of? This is this is the depth the depth psychologist in me. Psychologist, see that? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I I would be curious to see the half of your chart that you cut off. Why? I was like, if you guys want me to leave, I'd, I'd be curious to see your butt cheek. But why? 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 I don't know. There just seems like yeah. maybe there's something in. I wonder the part, the yeah. part of yourself. There's half mm. of your chart that you. I get it for space. Didn't tattoo it on yourself, but, but it's psyche. But it feels just... more interesting from a psychic perspective to say that there's half of your chart that you don't actually have representing on your arm, and I wonder what that half is. That's yeah. interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So you guys are gonna have stars serve dead people. Dead people? Well, Maybe. I don't know. Medium calling people. Oh, like, it's like dead people. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to see dead It's going to be a, 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 like a pretty that? amazing retreat. And so um, talking about the execution piece, if you're interested. Um, so I do things non-linear, and so this is where... Um, are we going to come back to midlife now? No, this is where I introduce you guys. <laughs> oh, because I feel like you skirted away from that conversation. You said we were going to talk about it, and then we kind of didn't. Well, we can talk about midlife, and um, I'm glad that we're not calling it a crisis, um, mm. but I almost feel like it's its own episode, at least for me and what I'm going through now. I've also touched upon it. I'm turning 50 in a month, and um, yeah, I'm definitely, uh, I feel like I'm going through something. Uh, there's a lot of stirring. There's a lot of um, mm. re-evaluating, redefining, um, everything just across the board, and so... Um, so you know, it's almost like one of those uh, thousand-piece jigsaw puzzles, right? Mm-hmm. Um, flip down on the table, and then um, it's your work to sort things out. What what are the corners? What's the you know? Um, I, I I think that uh, at least for me, I I don't know when things are stirring. Uh, what is kind of right, what is wrong. Maybe those aren't words I should use, but what, what is truth and what is coming from a place of uh, 
um, numbing or addictions or, you know, unhealthy things, right? And so I think, you know, the word processing is moving things around. Um, so for me, uh, putting that puzzle together until I see something that seems clear. I just had a realization. You know how I've always said since we met John that he seems like the essence of depth psychology to me? I just figured out why. Mm. Because you speak in metaphors and imagery. Mm. And mm-hmm. like our first day at Pacific, I remember they had us like name an image mm-hmm. or like a, was it an image? Probably, but I don't remember. <laughs> that was the exercise. So it says, yeah, name like an you, image? you stood up, and I remember oh, that yeah, I was give like, image. donut. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you said donut. Of course, I said donut. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think there's a way that in depth psychology we learn that things become tangible and graspable, and like they they bring in like mm. a visceral experience mm-hmm. when you can do what you do with metaphors. I don't feel like I do that. Like you know, like that's just the way your brain works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm fascinated a lot of times, like with what you just said about like throwing the puzzle pieces on the table, that gives you a very different experience of what's happening in the midlife for someone who's like maybe going through that in a way that they haven't had it like wire in their brain that you just gave them a way of understanding themselves Mm -hmm. that I think is so potent, but that's deaf psychology. And I like Mm -hmm. just had a realization of like, that's why I've always felt that way about Mm -hmm. John, because that's the way that you, you talk about the human experience is through imagery and metaphors. Yeah. I I just, I just, I just tell people what I'm, that's, that's my experience. Uh, But what's interesting about the puzzle pieces is if you um, think about midlife and you don't even say the word crisis, even unconsciously, midlife, okay, I'm halfway through life. Mm. You're already, you know, thinking um, you're going through something. It could be negative. Mm. Uh, but when you think about puzzle pieces, now you're thinking, oh, I'm putting something together. Mm-hmm. Uh, now there's a vision emerging. There's a completion to my story. So there's, um, uh, I think that the, the reason why I see that is because it's lined with positivity Mm-hmm. It's lined with completion. It's lined with, uh, you know, wholeness. It's not lined with, um, or it's not the whole taking the black panic light. And panic, what's wrong with you? You're going through a crisis. Yeah. This is a phase. Well, even, you know. The hero's journey again, that to me feels like all of this is a part of the story. You, again, you talk about like act breaks and mm-hmm. like, yeah, um, yeah. Like, if we understand, like, all of this has been coming together, like, puzzle pieces to put together a puzzle of what my story has been meant to help me understand about myself in this life school, Mm -hmm. then it feels empowering. It Mm -hmm. feels like all of this has been happening for me, and I'm I'm building something, a puzzle, versus Mm -hmm. it's slipping away from me, and I'm Mm -hmm. almost at the end, and I I have limited time left, right? Hmm. Yeah, instead of seeing the the, uh, hourglass flipped... You know, the sand. What's your strategy when you build a large puzzle? I don't know how to build puzzles well. <laughs> what, what, when you, okay, so, you know, our daughter is just at the age now where she's starting to do puzzles. Like, what's your, what's your strategy? So when you go into a puzzle and you take all the pieces out, what do you grab first? Like, where does your brain go in order to um, make sense of a puzzle? Well, there's logic, which is, you know, getting the corners first. So you do four corners? Or try to get to the corners, yes. Okay. And then... Um, trying to copy the the image that you see from the, the cover of the box. Mm. 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 Interesting. Yeah, and then the other part of me, which I is think more, there's something about that that I just found interesting. Which is more, um, you think you guys are digging a little too much? No, <laughs> I don't <laughs> That's actually. What we do. That's what we do. It's, uh, <laughs> it's the, uh, 
the double-edged sword of depth psychology. <laughs> oh, is, interesting. interesting. The top yeah. of the box, huh, yeah. John? Is where you grab so much, you actually lose track of, uh, yeah, and then, then you're just, you know. No, but I do think there's something interesting in asking then this question. Then you suddenly don't make sense. About, about somebody's strategy to build a puzzle, because I think it actually does tell you, it can tell you a little bit about hmm. life strategy. Like, what do you do when you're I, in the midst of things not being put together or like when things seem like scattered and put apart, right? So like for me, I don't I don't look at the box. Like I don't actually look at the image on the box. What do you do? Um, I do the whole outside first. So not just well, the four sure. corners, but like the, all the edges. What, what I do and is... And then, then I do clumps. No, but what I do the mostly is just start jamming things in together. Okay, right. That, that makes more fit. sense. <laughs> yeah. Without, I just start that jamming tracks. shit together to see what makes sense and what, what fits. That tracks. Um, because of I'm impatient instead of pulling back and like like Vanessa doing the outside first. I, don't I do the outside and then I group things by like what I can see is the images and the colors. Right? Do you want to know what I do? What do you do? I don't engage because this whole conversation <laughs> overwhelms me. So you just don't do the puzzle. So I just don't do the puzzle. You watch I and have someone else do it. that if the universe wants me to know some puzzle pieces, it will deliver them to me when I'm meant to experience them. But no, I don't try to put it together. Danae wants the puzzle to solve itself. <laughs> That's, That's right. what Danae wants. <laughs> That's, That's right. Danae. I give it to God. Yeah. <laughs> you give it to the God or the overfunctioner that do your puzzle. And she's eating uh, a donut. <laughs> I'm just going to go eat some donuts while you guys put the puzzle together. Thanks. What I understand depth psychology is, right? And the, the lenses through which I now view the human experience. So not just in me working with clients, but how I exist as a human being in this world is that most of us live from a very unconscious place. Um, we are very reactionary. We do not question things. We do not look deeper. Um, you know, the, the image that usually is used for the unconscious and conscious is the conscious is the tip of the iceberg that you see above the water. And the unconscious is actually the iceberg, right? Which is most of us know that image. It's like, it's humongous, but it's all under the water. And a lot of what we do in depth it's all about getting in and allowing what the unconscious content actually is to become conscious so that you live from a more conscious place so that what is underneath the surface is not driving you constantly. And you're just like, it's like, I always say the tail wagging the dog, mm -hmm. right? It's like you are in charge of what is going on in your life. You're not allowing what's under the surface to control you and your reactions, right? And so it is a more soul-based approach. It is an approach where we are looking at um, patterns and connection and images. Um, you know, the, the unconscious speaks through metaphor and image. And so that is the way that Danae and I tend to view the world. Now, do I live there all the time? No, if I live there all the time, I wouldn't be able to like have beers with my friends at the bar. I wouldn't be able to, as I was saying before, like wouldn't be able to enjoy going to a concert, you know, and, and, you know, shit talking with my friends and watching football and all these things that I like to do that I would consider the whale coming to the surface. Right. Um, mm. And so, yeah, that was my, that was my recap today. What do you got? <laughs> Well, and just in alignment with what Vanessa just said, Carl Jung actually spoke to that in saying that until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Mm. But there are sort of unconscious drivers motivating our behaviors. And if we don't bring them into our consciousness, we will do things that aren't actually in support of us living the most fulfilling life and showing up intentionally in our relationships and loving one another well. So I would argue making those unconscious aspects of ourselves conscious gives us the opportunity to show up in our lives on the surface in a more full and present way. 
So what you guys are saying, I agree with in that it is imperative for us to um, make the unconscious conscious uh, just to run towards <laughs> some kind of evolution, enlightenment, a better version of yourself. Um, that's not the danger. That's great. That's powerful. Just like uh, Eckhart Tolle in you know all of his books, he talks about not attaching to anything. So whether that is love, a pair of jeans, you know, um, food. And in theory, yes, of course, I, I nod my head, I agree. Uh, and of course, it's easier said than done. But I don't think we can live there, meaning um, I like vintage Porsches, right? I like, like we're talking about the Snickers bar. Um, sometimes uh, life can be simple in that you like something and be okay with it instead of trying to dig deeper and wonder why. So I feel like, you know, that whole mm -hmm. thing, there's a time and a place. So um, in therapy rooms, of course, absolutely. Also, I think a lot of times in your life, of course, you have to ask why and am I doing something that is coming from um, um, a reaction instead of a response, you know. Uh, but I think there, I'm not saying you guys are like this, but there are some people who stand on it meaning they are standing on a soapbox meaning this is the only way to live and if you don't look through this lens then you are less than you know the religion um so a lot of christians uh because i was in that world for a while um preach love and preach being non-judgmental and sometimes they're the most you know judgmental people because they're like oh you need to be christian um to be you know whatever or go to heaven or whatever and so i think uh, and, and this, and, and I'm saying this because this leads to a greater conversation about wellness and the crust of wellness. A lot of people can use uh, theoretical orientations as a religion, and by only seeing things through that lens, be the very thing they're not supposed to be. Which is, um, I'm not saying you guys are doing this, but uh, whether it's judgmental or you know not engaging in. Um, open conversations, uh, stuff like that. So I think that's where the danger is. It's not in what the concept is because the actual concept I believe in 100%. I mean, making the unconscious conscious is um, one of the pistons of our life engine that should always be pumping. Well, I would you know? argue what you're describing and certainly um, can be the case in any sort of dogma or, you know, like religious... Um, Spiritual. Whatever, exactly. I think that that is still yeah. ego. That is still mm -hmm. me not living in the space of consciousness. And, mm -hmm. you know, what I was saying to you guys before, I was listening to this audio book by um, Carlos Castan Castanedas, I think. Um, and it was called The Active Side of Infinity. And he was talking about how the problem with humanity from his perspective, when we're not living from like a soul driven spa space or the space of sources, depth psychology sort of brings us into how do we live from that space of consciousness is that um, we're sort of living in these bodies as if they're never going to die. And we all know that they're going to die, but we're treating life like this unconscious way that you're describing, right? Like we're not showing up consciously, which he describes as like, inactive infinity right and the goal as he was describing it is to live in the space of active infinity meaning knowing that we are um 
infinite beings, but living that way actively. So what does that mean tangibly? Because I know like you would say, mm -hmm. okay, so like bring it to street level. What does that mean? Um, to me, what that means is Vanessa and I lost one of our best friends that we went to grad school with. And I remember as I stood outside of his hospital room the day before he died, I thought to myself, there is no reason whatsoever that I'm entitled to one more day in this body than he is. And that's just the hand that I've dealt. None of this is fair. It isn't good people live longer, bad people. He was like the most generous, present human being I've known in my entire life. And his time was done. Um, but I took away two things. I was like, if I get more time in this body, I'm going to live more intentionally the way he did. I'm let, gonna let him be my example. But the other thing that I took away, and I promise I don't, of course I don't do it perfectly, I'm human, but I'm conscious of this every day of my life. And that is, if nothing is promised, then everything is sacred. It's like God spoke those words to me. Um, and what that means for me is I have a child that is five that, you know, I didn't have a child for a very long time because what I broke down in therapy was that I was really afraid of the vulnerability of something. I think that's what a lot of my avoidant tendencies were about. I didn't want to have to depend on anyone and nobody depended upon me for a lot of my life, but you can't do that with kids, right? You don't um, have the ability to not like really form that attachment with them. And I didn't wanna ever be in that level of vulnerability. But what I bring in the practice that gives me the exhale with my child is if I'm not promised tomorrow with him, then I'm gonna live today as if it's sacred with him. And so I really try to weave the sacred into every aspect of my life and to me, that's what depth psychology and living from a state of consciousness is. It doesn't mean that I'm not human, that I'm not perfect, but I think it makes me show up more intentionally with my child. I think there will never be a day of his life that he won't remember me being like, I'm so grateful to have this day with you, buddy. I'm so glad you're here. And that to me is what depth psychology has taught me. I don't know what you would say, Vanessa, but that's my perspective on it. I got nothing to add. <laughs> well, I I don't think you guys are, are, are I, I think you guys are uh, coming up for air. Do you know what I'm saying? I think you guys understand um, landscape, culture, um, indulgences, and allow yourself of that and also go deeper. So um, when I say the, the danger of it, I'm not saying that you guys are um, in another world and not relatable and all of that, um, or abusing self-help and slash death psychology or hiding behind. Well, so um, use that. So you know, like many people do with example. religion. So explain to me or us how, when you say the danger of using that as something to hide behind, give an example of what that might look like. If someone, you know, the word universe is thrown around a lot in our world. And if someone <laughs> says, um, I'm going to trust the universe, which is like, you know, give it to God. Uh, and then they could, which, which is okay. Nothing wrong with that. But if that is where they go with everything and they don't put work into something, but instead it didn't work out, then that means it wasn't meant to. People can use that as an excuse to not make dreams come true or not work on their relationship or not roll up their sleeves or, you know what I'm saying? So like um, in, in that kind of way, um, always asking why, and go deeper when something may just be simply not. So that's why I'm using the Snickers thing. Uh, if I enjoy a Snickers, maybe I just enjoy uh, nougat and peanuts and chocolate. Like there's no reason to dig deeper there. Now, of course, in therapy rooms, of course you should dig deeper in relationships and all of that. So um, that's what I mean. 
is the coming up for air is yes let's um flip things on its head let's dig deeper i love when danae says soul connection alignment <laughs> universe all of those words <laughs> but also you know um i want to hug canyons on a porsche and i want to have you know amazing sex with vanessa <laughs> and i want to eat chicken nuggets and i want to enjoy but i don't i don't want to i don't i don't think those need to be unearthed a deeper why like why john why do you need chicken nuggets and are you really running well, let, yourself or away let you know what i'm saying so like she, I got, I see that's why you time in a place <laughs> you, i mean you you said a few things that that to me were okay so i want to go back to when you said you know i trust the universe things are unfolding as they are meant to and it wasn't meant to be that to me is not the space of and so i give up and it's like it's a wrap i'm not going to be in the space of action anymore only only no, only if you're saying that all the time. So yes, of course, that can be truth once in a while when you know that you have done everything you can and now you got to give it to God or the universe. But if your knee jerk, if your default with everything is, oh, I'm just trusting the universe. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm just trusting the universe. It's going to happen what's going to happen. A lot of people can hide behind that yeah. and do nothing. Yes. And so you're sort you know of saying, saying like manifesting from the space of like Santa Claus is going to drop something into the sky and it's just going to arrive here. And I think absolutely that's that's not how that's not being in the space of active in infinite energy but i would say that it's like you always talk about attracting versus chasing right like it's this space of mm -hmm. i trust that the things that are meant to come into my experience will happen if i keep following flow if i keep following chasing the curves and sex with vanessa if yeah, i follow my flow states sure. then everything that i'm meant to experience i will experience like i I think we're in agreement. I think it's just, um, you know, you asked me what turns me on the most in another person. And it's that space of curiosity because it's like. You said. I did. You I said, said giant penises. I did. I did. I said monstrous penises. Hey, I'm just, I'm, I'm, just I'm just coming up for air. I'm just coming up for air. Okay. <laughs> Inappropriateness and dick jokes is air. I just like to point be. out that since this is going to go on the podcast, people can rewind it. Not say giant, giant penises. Not that I have a problem with giant penises. Anyway, <laughs> done. Anyway, okay. hey, giant, anyway, John, giant, anyway, you know, giant John. penises. They're not in anymore. They're they they're not in anymore. They're, they were um, they were the hide. old. I feel like What's you're coming to hide. in back in now <laughs> with <laughs> with the nineties is um. It uh, feels like you're deflecting with humor. Just, is what we would call that in the therapy yeah. room. Um. I forgot what I was talking about. See? Yeah. Cut her off, and now she didn't even finish oh, her sentence. You do that. Well, you know, I, I, I just, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to come up now. for air, and then you were asking um, me what I find. Sorry. Oh, yes, curiosity! You're, you're attracted curiosity to curiosity because I think it brings us into that state of aliveness when we're in curiosity. It sparks something that feels like life force, and so, yeah, like I think that the surface is like we live there and like I think this is why Vanessa ends up being such a beautiful blend of the ego and the soul the masculine and the feminine because she does both so well and I will own a lot of times I am more comfortable in the depth I am more comfortable in the space of like small talk makes me want to like um but right I think that there is something in like when we really see each other and when we really can go to the space that we're conditioned to not feel like we should go to, 
there's an aliveness there. There's like the, that's what we fall in love with when we fall in love sure. with someone that we can really get into that, that Raja, the life force of like being in those spaces, right? It's, I'm just saying, what is the, the only gear issue with life? Like, what is the negative I, aspect yeah. of I, the depth, I guess? If it's the mm. only gear, I, I think, I think what happens is, uh, what's ironic is I think your world then becomes narrow. And um, I think if it's one gear in your life, you, you, there is less judgment and you do go wide. Uh, th this is why Wayne Dyer kind of spoke to me a lot when I was going through my rebirth, because, you know, he talks about Taoism and all this kind of um, stuff that is uh, inward seeking and energy and manifestation. He talks about all that, but he's also just like a normal dad who cusses and has like, I think, seven children and, you know, uh, you know, struggles with, you know, putting his pants on in the morning. Right. And so that's why I gravitated toward him. And so that, that's what I mean by coming up for air is like that psychology or religion or anything that, you know, any kind of thing that you really believe in that has worked for you isn't the entire engine. Uh, yes, it could be generally the lens you see life through and it could be one of the pistons pumping. But then there's also these other things, too, I think. Um, and that, that's why I can't relate to Eckhart totally. I love what he says, but I, I almost don't believe him. I don't know what his life is like. I don't think he just sits and is unattached well, to everything 24 yeah, and here, Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's thing, not relatable. I want you to correct me if this doesn't feel true, but you were saying before that, you know, earlier in the podcast, Vanessa asked you about this um, half of your tattoo that you didn't keep, right? Like the half of your birth chart that you cut off. Yeah. And you were yeah. like, why does it always have to mean something? Why can't it just be like, I cut it off? And I would wonder, and yes, this is the depth psychologist to me, what it brings up for you for someone to ask that. Like, it feels like there's some point of activation there. You know sure. what I mean? Or some sort of irritation in being asked. I think the point is, is that you, there, there's resistance. Obviously, this is why you brought it up. There's resistance that you have to maybe people like Danae and I asking questions, wanting to go deeper. And I think the exploration for you would be more around what about that? Like, what is irritating about that? What is that activation point for you? Like, why can't you just allow somebody to go deeper and then just allow it to be what it is? Like, why does that irritate you, right? And so Danae and I would say like, depth psychology would view any activation, any irritation as actually a lens to look at ourselves and say, what is that in myself, right? Sure. And, sure. And and generally speaking, yes. And I can also say, what what is activating in you that when I don't want to go deeper, it's making you want to ask me why I'm not going deeper. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's a circle. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, I think deeper is always going to lead to uh, revel. You can't find revelations and insight without going deeper. But I'm just talking about living there. Why are you eating that cereal at 9 p.m.? And what does that mean? And how is that tied to your story and who you want to be? I just want lucky charms. Well, why are you resisting that question? So it's like, you know that Saturday Night skit where it's like they exaggerate the therapist and it's like, well, why do you put cream in your coffee? Oh, I want, and it's like, it goes on and on and on. That's what I'm saying is about the danger. I'm not saying that you guys are like that, but I'm saying that that could lead to a lot of uh, psycho babble and energy uh not so much well, um insight 
if you're always at always constantly I, like it could just be annoying i, I guess i think that both vanessa and i would be curious about the annoyance but i will say that i i think the society has swung so far out of the realm of the sacred and out of the reverence that in order to return to a space of the soul, we have to get more comfortable. Because I would say most people, John, don't live on the Eckhart Tolle end of the spectrum. They live on the, why are you asking me? I don't want to talk about it. Just shut it down. I'm not in my And so we need to get back yes, to the of space of being a little bit of more course. comfortable in the inquiry from my perspective. Yes, I mean, I think as a general statement, yes, of course, that is the, the prescription in this world. Um, but I'm just talking about, uh, always you know self-betterment has become trendy and um, a lot of people are cutting and pasting stuff a lot of there's a lot of uh, broken records and so always asking why and where's that coming from and never kind of just accepting answers can also i think um not be helpful but i don't know but if you guys disagree and there should always be a thread to, uh, you know, follow and discover in everything you do, then, you know, it's like, at the end of the day, it's whatever works. I mean, I feel like Socrates would say the point of this state of aliveness is to know thyself. And so, yes, I think there are going to be those who, who think this time is about being in the deep waters of inquiry and searching. And then there are those who are like, that doesn't interest me. And I think that's okay. Mm -hmm. Maybe yep. that, but I think sometimes it's like, if we bring it to relational conversations, the bird who wants to be up in the tree. No, but why, why does it have to be one or the other? How do we hold a reverence like, for what my partner is? And like, if I'm a bird who doesn't want to go into the depths, and I'm trying to be with a fish who lives there and is more comfortable, but I want them to come up in the tree with me, we're going to have a real lack of compatibility. But if I can hold my fish with like, my fish sure. loves to be in the depths. It's beautiful. That's why I chose this fish. Then we can have harmony. But the point of what happens to me a lot of times in relationships is I need you to experience the world the way that I do. And because you don't, you're wrong. We choose people because they're different, but then we want them to be like us. Well, now, I think there's a danger there. Um, and maybe not the word is danger, but um, it's not just depth psychology. I think with any anything, you know, where uh, people are living in that space I think we all live in a time. society that teaches us that there's a danger in asking questions and that we need to follow the path that is laid out for us. So if we have to if we have to choose between being in the inquiry and curiosity and following like what we're told, I'm going to be on the side of the inquiry. But I think that there is an opportunity with everything what, to say what, what, what state of unconsciousness was I in when I wasn't paying attention when I parked. Like there could be, but I think if there's a danger in asking the questions, I need to be curious about why it is dangerous to ask a question. Do you know what I mean? The danger is that's your whole life. So why is that You're dangerous? Con talking constantly because then you, that pulls you out of life. Like that's the whole Eckhart Tolle thing. That's why I meant like sand sandwiches in the park. So like it could the, the, the sandwiches the guy that's eating sandwiches at the park and doing nothing because he's so in the present here and now. The danger in that is is he's pulled himself out of life. If that's how he wants to live his life, that's great. Becker Tolle is living life, and he's impacting a ton of how, people, and he's of service, and he's he's doing a lot of beautiful work in the world. So who is this Forrest Gump that we're talking sure. about? Now? I don't know who this guy on the bench is. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't know what he's doing, but but uh, but he he preaches 
not being attached to anything at any time period. So um, I think he does sit in the park or somewhere um, and is not attached to anything, which is a great idea. And it's very hard to do, um, but it's also not, not related or realistic. him to travel the world and be of service. People. And I have certainly been impacted by the way that he shows up in his life. Maybe he spends a great deal of that life sitting on a park bench eating sandwiches if that's what turns him on. But he also is doing something substantially yeah. useful from my perspective at the time that he's given. Sure. I believe, it. I, I, I believe in his theories. I just can't, like I can relate to Wayne Dyer more than Eckhart Tolle. I can relate to Keanu Reeves more than no, Eckhart Tolle. doesn't make Eckhart Tolle you know wrong because he's not your person. He's just fish in the water. <laughs> I never said he's wrong. I, I never said he's wrong. He's dangerous. But he's being unrelatable, it's, it's, he's slippery. He doesn't have as much stick for you. as someone like a Keanu Reeves, for me, you know? Um, there, there's nothing wrong with him. There's nothing wrong with death psychology. There's nothing wrong with Christianity, you know? Can you guys introduce yourselves um, with all my podcasts? Speaking of puzzles, assembly is required. <laughs> so, um, Danae, I want you to introduce yourself, a little bit about yourself, um, and then Vanessa. And, uh, and then also, um, if you're curious about the retreat, where they can sign up for it. It's coming up very fast. Yeah. Thank you, John. I am Danae Logan. I am a therapist and a group facilitator and a writer soon to be an author. I'm mm -hmm. almost done with my published writer. book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I am a podcast co-host with my girl Vanessa and um, yeah, mama, um, all the things, else, all the things. And this is the work that I love to do, um, coming together in communities and having these conversations about seeking and depth and Jungian psychology and just really grateful to have curious friends like you. What's your Instagram handle? Um, Danae, D-E-N-E dot Logan, L-O-G-A-N. Perfect. And Vanessa? <laughs> he paused for a long time on that. <laughs> really? Is that your handle? <laughs> he was reading it. He was spelling it out in his head. Um... Vanessa Bennett, that's me. Um, I'm a therapist. It's kind of the same, the same checklist of yours, really. Um, mm. Therapist, author, mama, um, facilitator, co-host of our podcast, Cheaper Than Therapy. Um, John's baby mama. What else? What's out the, on my on my list? Structural puzzle put together. <laughs> um, yeah, and our uh, Vanessa S. Bennett, if you don't know, that's on, on Instagram. But um, yeah, you can go to my website, vanessabennett.com, or you can either one of our Instagrams in the bio link is the information for our retreat, which is called Reclaiming Audacity. Yeah. Thank you for listening. And um, guys, thank you for being here. Thank you. All right. Be well.